Hello and welcome to the Wilder Podcast. My name is Laura and I am stoked to have jumped in. Today's episode is with the incredible Kirsty Visser. She is a registered clinical nutritionist and a colleague of mine and of course an incredible human. I loved this interview. We giggled quite a lot and really the sort of main topic that we dove into was talking about women's hormones and burnout. A big one that we both see in our clients a lot. We begin by chatting about Kirsty's journey with her own health through various things, hormonal imbalances, mental health struggles and fertility issues as well. But as a result of walking those various paths, she has learned a lot and become an incredibly empathetic practitioner in the process because a lot of what she sees in her clients, she has actually dealt with herself and so can really truly empathize with them. We dive into all sorts of things and I know you'll learn a lot. If there's one takeaway I want you to get out of this episode, it is that fat is good for you, butter is healthy. <laughs> I'm kind of joking, but not really. I'm very passionate about getting women in particular to eat more healthy fats. And I know Kissy is too. So grab that avocado, nuts and seeds, olive oil, avocado. I already said that one, but you know, go hard on the avocado. Anyway, that's enough about fats. Let's dive on into my interview with Kissy Vasia. Hi, Cassie. Wow. Isn't it lovely to sit down together in person for this podcast? So thank you very much for joining me today. Yeah, no, finally. We've um, talked about it for a long time. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to picking your mind about all sorts of things, re-hormones mostly. Mm. But just for some context, I'd love to hear a little bit about, I suppose, your journey into, because we definitely sit really in the sort of holistic integrative nutrition side of things so usually there's a reason that someone ends up at that end of the spectrum do you want to talk us through how that happened for you yeah absolutely gosh where do I start well I was always interested in nutrition and seven years ago that's when I started studying so made it official and started doing my holistic nutrition education but it wasn't for so I, I kind of dabbled you know I was on again off again I was working full-time so didn't really give it the time of day that it needed. And it probably wasn't until my husband and I had just got together and, you know, we were talking about like the next steps and getting married and, and starting to have a family and all that stuff. So did that, moved down to Hamilton and yeah, really started to try to have a family, which wasn't working for us. We were one year, two years in, still nothing. And during that time in my life, I was really starting to notice some terrible hormonal symptoms. So I was getting, uh, you know, the acne, I was getting the breast tenderness, the water retention, the crazy moods, the binge eating, like all of that. But I mean, doctors didn't really know how to tackle it. I'd go mm -hmm. to the doctor and they would tell me SSRI. That's all you need is an SSRI and or birth control. I would look at labs, I would request labs because obviously I'd started to learn a little bit about that stuff through my education. And all the labs would come back, quote, unquote, mm. normal. Mm. So I would be sent away again. And then, yeah, six months later, so that's now two and a half years into trying to conceive, still nothing. And I was like, man, ethos, okay, 
I need to figure out what's going on here. This isn't normal. I know this isn't normal. And so finished the um, undergrad certificate and really started to learn about hormones and understand the role that stress plays with hormones, understand what labs to look at. And I had a look back through all the different labs that I was getting tested and my producer was like tanked. I wonder why that is. So, you know, I started doing my own stress management, changed careers into a much, much less stressful job. I used to be a sales manager of an oil company, (laughs) which was very, very stressful and awful. And yeah, I definitely shouldn't have been in that role but hey you need to find these things out in life right yeah there's no should or shouldn't that just yeah. was what it was it you was know it was yeah lots of learnings within that so that's cool but as i was saying started to realize that the labs weren't right and you need to obviously check within day 19 to 22 of your cycle for progesterone peaking it was at 2 3.5 because with bloods, usually they just test you when you test you at they don't test at a specific day yeah so it's If anyone's going to get their labs checked for specific hormonal dysfunction, you want to make sure you're either testing at day two to see baseline or mid-cycle peak, which is between that 19 to 22 day period. Otherwise, the results are totally worthless, right? So I knew within that set of labs over time that there was definitely something wrong with progesterone. And I was really starting to experience some wicked symptoms. So I had gone from PMS to PMDD, which was suicidal thoughts, which was really, really severe mood disturbance. So for those of you that don't know, PMDD is premenstrual dysmorphic disorder, which is a very, very extreme case of, of PMS. So, you know, there was a marked difference between the first part of my cycle and then after ovulation into the luteal phase, how I felt and how I showed up in the world. Basically, the last two weeks of my cycle, I couldn't function, I couldn't go to work, and I could barely get out of bed because my mood had just gone so bad. So this is when I asked the GP, I was like, there's definitely something wrong with my hormones. I want a referral to fertility associates. I've been trying for two and a half years. I need to find out what's going on. Got there. It's a pretty rude introduction to fertility associates as they basically said, unexplained infertility, you have three options. You can get a hysterectomy, you can go on birth control, or you can get put on SSRIs for the Mm. second half of your cycle to manage your symptoms. I didn't mind that because I think medication, um, sorry, I didn't mind the SSRIs because I think medication in certain circumstances is very important and very helpful. But the other two options, I went there to try and get pregnant. Mm. They were basically telling me, well, we're not going to worry about you getting pregnant. We're just going to manage your symptoms. So felt a bit like a number. However, they did agree that it it warranted further investigation. So next couple of months later, we got a laparoscopy and the doctor surgeon said to me, we don't think we're going to find anything here. It's not going to be major. You'll be in and out half an hour. And now we're just going to look around. Four hours later, I came out of surgery and he said he couldn't believe how much scarring was in and around. It wasn't endometrial. It was non-endometrial interuterine adhesions. Right. Which, looking into my own research, because no one had any answers for me post-op, I found a paper, an obscure paper, that basically says abortions by vacuum can lead to interuterine pelvic adhesions Mm. if you don't have manual therapy or any kind of rehabilitation after the surgery Mm. or after the operation. So it is my belief that the abortion caused the interuterine scarring. Mm. 
and the effect of that was that the fallopian tubes had been tied shut. Mm. Hence, no progesterone. Um, no ovulation at all, really. Yeah. Well, even if it was ovulating, then it was it, it wasn't making it through. Because yeah. I did manage to have an ectopic pregnancy prior to getting pregnant with my daughter. Mm. So there was, even though the distress quite low. So the fallopian tubes being tied up around my stomach. The scarring was, you know, right from the bottom of my uterus up to my liver. It was all over the place, and it needed to be cut free. <laughs> so we did that. Surgeon did that, obviously. Put my fallopian tubes back in place. Put a dye through. He saw that it was able to travel through, but no guarantees that I was going to be able to get pregnant due to damage. I left obviously feeling pretty stink given yeah. that outcome, but was obviously super committed to my belief in nutrition. Um, Hippocrates says that there's food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. Yeah. Um, and Edison also says, you know, the doctor of the future won't give drugs, but he'll interest himself in the human frame. So with those two philosophies, I was like, I'm going to heal, I'm going to heal, and I'm still going after a baby. I had known that there was a few people post-laparoscopic surgery that got pregnant, so I was holding with that belief. I did a lot more yoga. I stopped doing hits, introduced a whole foods diet, and went relatively high fat as well and, and pretty low carb mm. because I knew the healing power of high fats, especially for inflammation and hormonal creation post-surgery. So did that for six weeks post-surgery. Surgery was in May, and by the 1st of December, so six weeks of about a keto diet, after that I upped my carbohydrate, mm-hmm. I just started feeling better, and come 1st of December, got pregnant. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so how long was that after the... May was the surgery. Oh, my God. And got pregnant. So yeah. it was three, three, just over three years after trying to start that yeah. And I can imagine that whole journey, just going back to some of the things you've said, was pretty horrendous. But at the same time, kind of getting those answers, like kind of understanding the why it sort of all happened and why it was hard. Yeah, I think you're big, you're big on there because I probably lived a lot of my life in PMS, PMDD mm. type scenario. You know, after the abortion, and this is really starting to get into the nitty gritty, after the abortion, because I didn't have any outpatient care, there was no, there wasn't really any kind of psychological offering or counselling mm. given to people back then. Mm. I was 19 at the time, I'm 38 now for context. So off on my merry way, 19-year-olds had this traumatic experience happen to me. No support ended up with an eating disorder because it wasn't so, and and this is not any kind of discussion around eating disorders, but just so that you know, eating disorders are way more about the trauma that's been experienced than trying to lose weight. It's got nothing to do with losing weight. It's, It's about trying to manage what is going on in the internal trauma. So carried that for 10 years. If you look at that, arguably, there was a whole lot that was going on with my hormones because of the eating disorder, but the interuterine pelvic adhesions definitely were a result of the abortion. So I was a mess. To put it quite short, I was a mess. And it wasn't really until I got my big why, so wanting to have a child, my why outweighed wanting to engage in any of the eating disorder behavior that I was finally able to heal because mm. I was no longer thinking of the eating disorder thought patterns. I was thinking of what recovery would mean to me. Recovery would mean I was able to have a baby. Recovery would mean I was able to move on with my life. I couldn't hold on to the past and the guilt and the 
um, regret of what had happened to me with the abortion um, because it wasn't my decision. Someone else made that for me. I needed to move forward with my life. Mm. So, yeah, it's a big story to unpack. But, hey, today I have almost a three-year-old and obviously now on the other side of having done my clinical nutrition studies and specializing now in women's hormones for the very reason that I want to give more clarity to women that are going through the same experience and not having the answers that I once sought. Yeah, I feel like you would be a very empathetic practitioner now and you're able to understand that losing weight, that hormone issues are more than just food. There's the emotional and the trauma impact on our body and on our health as well yeah a hundred percent i mean we we are basically the sum total of all the experiences that we've been through in life and just because you haven't had something as terrible as what happened to me happened to you doesn't necessarily mean that you haven't taken it on board as trauma Mm -hmm. because all trauma is is an unmet emotional event that's happened to you it could be your cat dying it could be you know, the most minuscule thing. Random comment that your mother we felt is to you without meaning it. But yeah, we internalize that and we don't process those emotions at the time. And then they get stuck. Yeah. And then they manifest as Mm. dis-ease in the body. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So really, really important and a really big part of my healing journey was starting to learn healthy ways of dealing with my emotion because the, the engaging in the eating disorder was only ever a result of something really bad happening to me as an A type personality. I would come down with myself super hard if something bad happened to me at work or um, someone said something that my A-type personality just couldn't handle because I have such high expectations of myself. So that was my way of dealing with all those yuck emotions. For other people, it might be addiction to alcohol. It could be addiction to drugs or gambling or sex addiction. It could be whatever. That was my poison of choice because... I didn't know how to deal with my emotions. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, I engage in things like music. Music moves my soul in a way that I don't have to physically do anything. You don't have to understand it. Yeah, and and even things like dancing, moving my body, exercise. I have such a different appreciation for exercise now, not as a form of restriction or control, but just as a form of, you know, honouring myself and my body and understanding that it has such great impacts on your mental health as well so and anyone that's interested you can um, google somatic therapy and start to understand how you can start to move through stuck emotions without necessarily having talk therapy Mm. because talk therapy is not for everyone totally yeah yeah our last episode on the podcast was actually all around while she does havening sort of an emotional processing technique so amazing yeah yeah so definitely for those that have been through some quite traumatic experiences it's actually not that great to do cbt or because it can be very much re-traumatizing so yeah it's it's definitely worth investigating other ways of therapy that can be physical or music or you know drawing generally whatever to help move through those emotions cool yeah i just pulled out a couple of things that you mentioned before mostly because these are things that i say over and over again to my clients and i just wanted to make sure all of our listeners got the goods here so you moved from sort of high intensity exercise to Mm. yoga Mm. how do you view that in terms of importance about maybe balancing hormones or general health That's a really great question because obviously we hear such great stuff about HIIT exercise and how it burns calories and it's, you know, the fastest way to fitness, whatever. But if you think about my system, it was 
always in the, in the sympathetic nervous system response, right? I was constantly telling my body, I am not safe. On a daily basis, your body is always saying to you, am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And if you constantly tell yourself, no, you're not safe. No, you're not safe. No, you're not safe. By putting yourself in a, in a fasted type of state, by not eating enough, by not sleeping enough, by stressing out way too much and again, not managing your emotions very well, then that has a massive effect on your cortisol levels, on all of your sex hormones down regulate because your body, your primal body thinks it is going to die. Mm. So why would your primal body think it would be a good idea to procreate and create the sex hormones in order to do so if you were just about to die. It would it that is natural protection mechanisms ha- happening in your body. So from a symptoms perspective, your sex drive tanks, you start to experience PMS that I was talking about before. And so just to connect the dots here, we are in a high stress state, so the body's prioritizing our own survival while the reproduction. So it actually cuts ovulation and progesterone production. So you get low levels of progesterone, which is what your picture was. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, and then along with that, obviously gut health starts to suffer and neurotransmitter creation starts to suffer. So then you get that anxiety because progesterone production is low and depressive combo where you're really starting to experience low mood and low dopamine so what do you start doing you start going to hit exercise because that's a potent dopamine boost you're really looking for anything that's going to build that dopamine pathway because it's supportive and makes you feel good so that could even look like picking a fight with your partner because it gives you a ride so if you're prone to doing that Start to understand that your stress is probably tanking your neurotransmitter ability. So you're looking for a dopamine hit in any way, shape or form, whether it's a good behavior or a bad. Yeah. And then the other one around food is you really upped your fat intake. Mm. So talk about how that's useful for balancing hormones or useful for low progesterone levels. Yeah. So fat is um, not only structure for the body, um, but it's also a fuel source and in charge of healthy hormone creation. So Putting in more fats was an, another way that I was trying to tell my body when it was asking, are you safe? Yes, I'm safe. I've got the fuel I need to create all the hormones I need. Um, yeah. So I guess as well as really titrating down my exercise in order to heal, which, you know, if I'm completely honest, I was post-op, so it was impossible for me to thrash myself anyway. But bringing down that sympathetic nervous system response and just sitting in the parasympathetic for a long time helped my hormones start to boost. And because there was no more physical obstruction, it meant that, you know, it could travel down the fallopian tube and start that producer in production. Cool. I um, did a workshop on Friday last week, and the big takeaway for lots of them was that butter is good. Butter is great. I know. <laughs> lots of people still think that saturated fat is bad for us, and they think that butter is bad for us. So yeah. that's like my big mission in life. Eh? It's like make sure everyone is eating butter. As long as they want to be eating butter, you don't have to eat butter. But I'm just saying don't deprive yourself of butter. <laughs> I know. I actually didn't see a really interesting post that you posted a little while ago about how much butter you put in coffee. I was, yeah, I was quite surprised. I know. I got lots of comments about that one. And to be honest, I possibly put a little bit too much in that one. Just, <laughs> it must have been like some sort of subconscious thing being like, yeah, I get lots of butter and I actually put like po- possibly maybe a little bit more than I would usually do. So, <laughs> yeah. And so the, I know the other th- sort of 
topic you're passionate about is, I suppose, women's hormones in relation to burnout and mm-hmm. being a mother and trying to do 100 million things. Do you want to explain a little bit about how you've sort of navigated that yourself and with your clients and how that relates to our hormones as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's definitely a lot of clients that are coming to me and, I mean, they have that whole PMS, anxiety, depression, gut issues, um, just feeling pretty crazy, right? They come to me, they've got really low energy and we start to unpick their lifestyles and it's like, okay, well, I get up, you know, I haven't slept very well because I'm in charge of putting the kids to bed and on the night shift while they wake up multiple times over the night. And then I have, you know, two or three coffees throughout the day. I'll probably just get grab a couple of snacks on the go. And then I've got, you know, pickups, drop-offs, clean the house, prep the meals, do a little bit of my own work. I've got a side hustle. I work in my husband's business. And then I've got to go pick up the kids and obviously get dinner ready and get them ready for their bed, put them to bed. And then I work a little bit more or get into my studies or whatever and maybe finish off with a couple of glasses of wine at night and fall into bed absolutely exhausted, only to sleep a couple of hours before I'm up again with my children. So, I mean, even saying it sounds ridiculous, but this is how a lot of women are living their lives these Mm. days, and that is a recipe for disaster. You can't keep pumping caffeine into the adrenals, and you can't keep living your life in that sympathetic nervous system response without it having a massive impact on your your vitamin and mineral stores, on your gut health, on your neurotransmitters, as we talked about before, and not getting into that burnout that yeah that you were mentioning. So what do I see when I go to uh, get my um, client's labs done? We see their thyroid has been severely impacted, so that's the gas pedal of the metabolism. They put on a whole lot of weight. Well, that's one of the reasons why. We see that their B12 levels started to tank because their vitamin and mineral absorption has been impacted. We see their iron levels are no good because they're drinking way too much caffeine, so it's depleting all their major minerals. So that's usually some of the picture. There is other testing that we can obviously get done via Dutch or oak test to see a lot more of the picture. But the major thing that we talk about is boundary setting and lifestyle alterations because you can't live that lifestyle and not expect to reach breaking point at, mm. at some point. Every symptom that you're experiencing, women are experiencing, are because your body is clearly saying, absolutely not, I don't want to live my life this way and I'm going to tell you loudly and clearly that this isn't right. So we do start getting them to pull back. We do start getting them to sleep more, to ask their partners to chip in. They don't have to be on night shift every night for their children. Mm. It should be a part and parcel. It took two to make the child. Mm. It should take two to bring up the child. As sleep is healing, it's super important to make sure you're getting, you know, between seven to nine hours a night. And then, look, we get their nutrition a little bit dialed, take out some of the inflammatory items that are causing some of the gut issues that they're experiencing, get them nutrient replete, wipe out any of the bacterial, fungal, uh, parasitic overexposures that mm-hmm. they might be experiencing depending on their symptoms, and then really try to manage stress as much as possible via meditation, grounding, somatic therapy stuff. But even when they're with their children, you know, you can be like really getting triggered by your child and holding that sympathetic nervous system response to the point where you're just about to break and maybe you do and you scream at your child. You have the ability to come back into your body in that moment and breathe through it to recognize that your child's unregulated, you're starting to get unregulated. 
what do you need to do in that moment so you don't snap? And then does that help to regulate your child by regulating yourself? Like what? Everything comes from regulation. Yeah. When you are regulated, your child, it's mirroring, right? Yeah. Your child is always going to mirror where you go. So if you go to level 10, your child's going to take you there. Your child's going to go there and then, and they're going to learn that that's what is acceptable behavior. And then, side note, can people be in level 10, but they're putting a mask on that they're actually all good? Well, you tell me. You tell me. Have you ever been with someone that you know that while they're real off, their energy is so off, but they're like, no, I'm all good. I'm yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That's what I think. Yeah. But I wonder if the child can tell that. Like, Children are way more, yeah, they know. They know when your energy's off. So even if you're trying to put on a, a brave face, they've got the vibes that you're not good and they're going to pick up on that and respond to that. So doing you and making sure mama's cup is filled and you're getting the rest you need and you're managing your stress and you're looking after yourself pays dividends when it comes to your relationship with your children and your husband. That's really good advice. (laughs) Yeah. So interesting about that, particularly about the, yeah, the attunement and I suppose the dysregulation of a parent that can lead to dysregulation of a child, I suppose. And, and recognizing before you get to breaking point is really important. Mm. First of all, having the words. So that was really powerful for me and my husband when my daughter came along was what am I feeling right now? Because I used to scream and I used to cry and I used to, it was just so overwhelming as an impasse to hold such strong emotions from my child. Now I recognize that I am quote unquote unregulated and I either remove myself from the situation and say to my husband, sub, or I have my breathing techniques and I'm able to, through cognitive behavioral therapy skills that I've learned, talk myself off where my thought patterns are taking me. Mm. You know, because if you are thinking, oh, this is so ridiculous. Why can't they just put on their shoes? Why can't they just get dressed? I don't have time for this. Like, literally, you wind yourself up so tightly yeah, yeah, yeah. that you explode. So it's, it's, it's learning to really talk yourself through those thought patterns before they cascade into wherever you go or breathing through things that'll, that'll regulate you. And then through that regulation, your child becomes regulated and Mm. that's what's called co-regulation. Yeah, cool. And then I suppose my understanding, uh, there's like a little bit of societal expectation for mothers when it comes to kind of raising children and also getting back to work and also doing all the things. What what do you think the solution? Not that you yeah. have the solution, but what's the solution from like how can we set up an environment that prevents or at least reduces the amount of women getting to this burnout point? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. I think everybody's living their life slightly different in their own little eco bubbles in their house. You need to come back to what's true for you and yeah, your yeah. intuition and really start to understand, am I at my limits here? What are my limits? What is my capacity? And be true to that. You don't have to be the type of woman that can do everything. Mm. Some women have massive tanks and they can do it all. Mm. And others of us have way less tanks. We need way more sleep. That's bio-individuality at its finest. Mm. So learning to listen to your limitations and being in constant communication with your partner or whoever else is in your life that can support you is so important to get a little bit more balance in your life. Mm. Because if you do what society tells you to do, you're constantly going to be living out of integrity with yourself and pouring out from an empty bucket. 
because society says we don't need sleep it's not that important you know go crush all of that you know <laughs> that's what society says yeah and it's bullshit if i can say swearing's an emotional release i swear great okay <laughs> obviously i haven't had children so i haven't gone down the mum burnout route but i feel like just in terms of university to be honest and expectations when i first started working and my sort of poison of choice when it came to distracting myself from my own emotions was just busyness. I just used to pack it in. Yeah. A Saturday night. If a Saturday night came around and I didn't have plans, it would be like, who am I? Like, what's going on? I need to make plans and like just text everyone, you know? So like reteaching myself how to slow down was a big journey for me. So yeah, I think if there's a way that we can change the environment in some way, shape or form to prevent people from feeling like they ex- are expected to do that. Yeah, no, that actually brings up a really interesting side note about society is teaching us now that we always have to be busy. Mm. You know, we we don't actually just sit in the stillness of ourselves and we're also scared of our thoughts when we do because that's when your body screams at you actually no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's easy to just block that shit out because otherwise you have to deal with it. Yeah, very much so. Having what's called delayed gratification, so you're not constantly trying to fill that dopamine hit with, you know, your iPhone that gives you all those messages that lights up your brain like a traffic light. And actually having moments where you either just go outside, just chill, look at the clouds. My God, when was the last time you just sat there and looked at the clouds like we did when, you know, we were young? Those kinds of things, that's where the real joy of life since and we're not getting enough of it these days yeah and i worry for our children because life is speeding up so much more so for them they're exposed to technology they're exposed to 100 million choices in a day it's decision fatigue at its finest and it's definitely causing a whole lot of depression and so much disconnection from nature and the natural self rhythms yeah and self Yeah, yeah totally totally Cool, that's really nice. I feel like we could almost finish on that, but I thought I would ask you about maybe a favourite recipe at the moment, something you've been really liking making at home for your daughter or even for yourself. Oh, gosh, favourite recipe. We're really getting into curries at the moment Mm. because she is quite a picky eater but seems to love the ethnic variety. Cool. Loves rice or eat plain rice or cow's gumbo. So, yeah, a whole lot of uh, different recipes from That Clean Life, which is a recipe software database that I use with my clients, Mm. which we love because it just gives us all of the ideas. Uh, Mm. But any old recipe book, you know, we've got heaps of them up at the top there in the the cupboard. It's just a matter of getting them out and having the energy to actually explore something different. Yeah. I think the good thing about curry as well is you can put some collagen or some bone broth in there for winter time. Yeah. Like, good way to get that in. I was just talking about that to a client this morning. That's, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah, I like, thought about that. Get, get your bone broth in every chance you can. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. I see. That one was incredible. Full of lots of gems. Yeah. Where do people find you if they want to have a a little bit more look into what you're all about and what you do. Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Legacy Nutrition underscore NZ or on www.legacynutrition.co.nz, my website. Cool. cool. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. I really, really appreciate your time and I hope you've got something out of this episode. I would love to hear what you got out of it, what you thought of the episode. Send me a message on Instagram at wilder, wild with an R on the end, underscore wellness. And yeah, let me know what you thought. 
all the relevant links will be in the show notes, so feel free to check out all of those things that we mentioned in today's episode. And as always, a reminder to be gentle on yourself, take things slow. Um, I think that there is no way that you can hear that too many times. So take this as your little reminder today. And I'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wilder Podcast.